Yeah, what a powerful morning already. Amen. The Lord is in this place. Thank you, sir. Yeah, he is. And uh, as Caleb said, we're just getting started on uh, what God has for us today. And I, I'm so grateful for the Spirit of God being here with us and him speaking to us. So, you know, when we come to follow Jesus, what's happening is we are receiving what he has done for us, what he's done. And when that happens, he flips the script on our life. The trajectory that we were on all of a sudden changes. And now I have a new set of desires, a new purpose, and new life in him. And I lift my hands up to him. I worship him. I begin to start walking in his ways. I choose his ways over my ways. I walk by faith, not by sight. And everything changes. And this is what he has come to do is free us so that we can be free. Now, I'm going to tell you, you already know this, the enemy does not want you to be free. He can't take your soul away once you have given it to Jesus, but he will do everything in his power to keep you from living in the freedom of the life that you have been given. He'll keep you focused on your past. He'll keep you obsessing about your failures. He'll keep you looking at your weaknesses. And if he can keep you focused on all of that, you will shut down in your faith. You'll stop talking to people about your faith because you'll be obsessed with your weaknesses, flaws, and failures. You'll come to a worship experience when Jesus is in the room and you will think, I can't worship like that because I know what kind of a wretch I am. Hello. He knows what kind of wretch you are. He died for you to save you, to free you from that. You're not telling him something he doesn't already know. But you're not living in something he already knows about you in that moment. And so the enemy will want you to stay focused on all of that. The enemy will also try to get you to compare yourself with others around you. To get you to start looking at other believers and think, well, I'm not like them. I don't have what they have. It happens even in a worship service. Well, I can't sing like them. I look silly when I sing. I sound terrible when I sing. And in that moment, the enemy is like, it's working. Because he's got you once again shut down. The minute you start comparing yourself with others, you'll find yourself filled with insecurities. You're focused on you. You'll find yourself uncertain. You'll find yourself discouraged. You'll find yourself fearing what other people would even think if you did open your mouth, if you did lift your hand, if you did talk about your faith in your home, if you did ask your wife or your husband to pray, if you did talk to your children about your faith, if you did talk to your coworker about your faith, you get filled with fear about what people think. And in that moment, you are all of a sudden shut down. You have just quenched, choked off the Spirit of God. And the enemy is so slick. He'll even whisper this lie to you. Oh, you can have your faith, but you just need to keep it private to yourself. That's slick. There's something about that even seems almost right, but I can't tell you about what a lie that is. 
to keep you and me shut down, choked off, and f- not free from sharing the very life that has been given to you and I in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, I get it. I get the, the struggle and the pressure, but I'm not going to live in that struggle and that pressure. I'm going to listen to the Spirit of God and not what I think is the spirit and the doctrine of demons in the world today that wants to keep Christians shut down. Don't talk about your faith. Don't express your faith. Don't dare try to live it out. Well, guess what? We're going to do all three because we are followers of Jesus Christ. Right? We're not going to let that spirit, that doctrine of demons shut us down. Now, I get it. I, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a church setting where I, I feared all of those things somewhat like Caleb. I'm going to talk about that just a little bit more today. But today, I want us to say to those doctrines of demons and those spirits that are out there, no more. No more will I be silent. No more will I hold back. No more will I keep inside the light, the love, the liberty that's been given to me in Jesus Christ. No more. Our message today is you weren't made to hold back. This is who we've been created to be. Those who are free. Those who are alive. Those who are walking in openness and freedom. Jesus even said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. Express your love to the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And that is meant for us to be experienced in our home, with our friends, in our marriage, in our family. And you might have those moments where you think, oh, I feel like I really should pray here, but it's just too awkward. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Well, let's eat. I get it. I've walked there. I know that. I know those moments where you feel like I need to say something. Our family's gathered. I need to give glory to God in this moment. And all of a sudden, every thought except the one that says do it rushes in. And you give voice to those. You, you give ear to those. And the enemy wants to silence you and I. And religion seems to reinforce it. You know, religion is not what we are doing here today. Hello? Religion likes to keep things respectable. Religion thinks it has come to do something for the God that's mad at them. But a relationship with Jesus says, he has come to give me life and I'm here to live out that life because he is in the room and he is good. That's what separates faith in Jesus Christ from every other religion. You're not going to go to any other religion and find that their deity is good, has laid down his life for the people, and that he shows up in their midst to be good to them. Only in following Jesus do you find that. But I get the, the temptation to want to hide all of that. I grew up in a, uh, after high school at least, I wasn't saved until I was a senior in high school. And I was in a church environment in the 80s, a traditional Baptist church environment in the 80s. If you're as old as me, you might know that environment. In the traditional church environment of the 80s, and still you find this in some churches today, the routine is there might be some announcements, there might be a choir, nothing wrong with either of those things, but when it came time to sing, you grabbed your hymnal and you sang the verses. Shall we gather at the river? You, river, 
that's just about the way it is all around the room. You know, there's some guy, and then there's some lady, you know, he's like, what's going on here? Nobody wants to break out of any of that, and you're not going to find anybody raising their hand in an environment like that. You just didn't. In fact, the environment I was in, some people were there, and they started lifting their hands. And you know what that caused. It caused everybody in the room. (laughs) They're holding their hymnal, singing worship song with their face all wrinkled up about those people lifting their hands. And it's sad. And so I grew up in this and I'm like, what? This is, is this what worship is? Is it, what is it, what's going on here? And it, it got so contentious in the 80s that I watched the church split over it. People leave and check out. And in that moment, the enemy wins again. You and I were not meant to be withdrawn, isolated, uncertain, insecure, choking off the Spirit of God. We were meant to be free and express Him and His faith and the worship that He has placed in our heart. This is what we are made for. So today, we're going to look at some scripture and we're going to break free. Amen? Anybody game for that today? So, you might ask, well, how do I get to that place? I recognize where I am, but how do I get to that place where that's more comfortable, where that is more natural, where I'm not just a spectator of worship, I'm actually engaged in worship? How do you do that? I'm glad you asked because the Bible tells us that what we have belongs to God. Amen? It has come from him to us. And the way you honor him is by giving him the first part of all that he gives you. We've been looking at that for a couple of weeks now. He also wants us to give him the first part of the what's next. So in any given moment in life, When a what next comes up, like you get some news, what's next? God speaks in your heart, what's next? You're talking with a loved one, what's next? It's Valentine's Day, what's next? What you do next, when the guy pulls out in front of you, when you get the bill in the mail, when you're about to sit down for a meal, when you're in a worship service, the what's next, that next moment right there, that belongs to God. The first part always belongs to God. What you do at that first moment will determine what happens with the rest of the moments. And so when God moves in your heart and he puts something on your heart, your mouth, your mind, that first moment of what's next belongs to him. But it's the moment that a thousand voices come rushing in to tell you, that's ridiculous. Don't do that. You're going to look foolish. No one's going to like that. They're going to laugh at you. You don't have any reason doing that. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody recognize those voices? Those voices all come rushing up. And whichever one you listen to will determine what happens next. 
And the first one, if you'll give it to God, let him have the what's next moment, you'll find radical change happen in what's next. Now, look at this verse we've been hanging on for a while. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats overflow with new wine. I know you normally maybe think of this in terms of a tithe. I'm not talking about tithe right now. I'm talking about whatever God has given you, the first part always belongs to him. You hear, you see, you see the verse? Whatever he gives to you, the first fruits, the first part, even the what's next belongs to him. And if you want to see him bless all the rest, then you got to give him the first part. You want to see him bless your thoughts? You want to see him multiply your thoughts of peace and love and joy and hope and vision in your life? Then give him the first part of the thoughts. You want to see him bless your marriage? Then give him the first part. You want to see him bless even in your emotions? Give him the first part. Because when you do, oh, he will provide plenty. He will bless. And he'll actually cause an overflow to happen. Overflow sounds a whole lot like worship. Because that's what it is. It's the overflow of my heart. I'm not trying to just squeeze out a word of song. I am letting my heart naturally overflow before God. Are you with me so far? This is what God has called us to. Let him have the first part. Now, I remember when I was in elementary school at George Peabody in Oak Cliff. I'm in second and third grade, and it's time to go to the auditorium. Teacher tells all the class to stand up and get in a line because we're going down the hall to the auditorium. And you get in a line, and the teacher, Miss Cargill, second grade, Brian, would you like to come be the line leader? Why, yes, I would. So I get out of my, you know, 13th place, wherever I was, and just, hey, how's it going? And all of a sudden, I'm at the front, and I'm leading the way down to the auditorium. Jesus says, let me have the first place. Let me be first in line of all those thoughts that come into your mind. And when you do, I will bless all the rest. Turn your Bibles today to Luke chapter 7. We're going to see a story here about two people. And one of them is going to be very religious. In fact, he has convinced himself along with his friends that if you're going to be spiritual, then it means being respectable. It means being obsessed with what other people think about you. It means being very careful so that you always look spiritual. It means being very careful to ne never let anybody see the real you. It means you got to overthink, analyze, second guess, always obsess about what other people are thinking, what you are thinking, is this right, is it not, so much so that you completely miss the moment because you don't give Jesus the first part of the what's next. You end up losing the moment. Are you with me? But we're also going to meet a woman in this story who has done just that. She will give Jesus the first part of her what's next. So the Bible tells us in this story, it says, then one of the Pharisees, the religious Jewish leaders, very religious, very respectable, 
very careful, very guarded. Ask him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat for a very respectable religious conversation. It says, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. This woman is a prostitute. She's lived a life of sin. We don't know what got her into this position. We don't know what happened. But she has sold her body, her mind, her emotions off into sin. And she's living as a slave to sin. She's covered in her own guilt and shame. No future for her life. No genuine love in her life. Until she hears that Jesus is in a house. And it says this woman, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now, I love this because she knows what she's about to walk into or is walking into. She is walking into a religious leader's home. And you couldn't be more opposite between her and him. She knows going in, she's going to be looked down on. She knows going in that she might even know some of these men. Hello. She knows that Jesus is in the room. And she has already, knowing he's in the room, given him the first part of the what's next. Because she walks in to do something. She walks in to worship and she comes in prepared for it. She came in bringing a gift. It's a flask of fragrant oil. Now we'll talk more about that here in just a moment. But in verse 38, it goes on, it says, And she stood at his feet behind him. She's weeping and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. You see, when you give Jesus the first part of what's next, then you set aside fear of what anybody else is going to think. She just walked right into this man's house and she stood right at the feet of Jesus she didn't even acknowledge that those other men existed. She went right to Jesus. She set aside being respectable. She set aside reading the room. She set aside staying in control. She set aside not letting people see you emotional. She said, I'm ditching all of that because Jesus gets the first part and he is the one who can change my life. And she cracked that shell of outer self-respect and began to just weep. I don't mean just a few tears. She is weeping. First she's standing and then she's kneeling. She's at Jesus' feet. She's touching him. She's pouring out her heart. She's washing his feet. 
pours out this oil and everybody in the room knows it because she had given Jesus the first part of what's next. She wasn't afraid anymore. It says, now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. It's so interesting. This man has not given Jesus the first part of what's next. Who does he give the first part of what's next to? Himself. Look what it says. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, when he sees it, when the moment happens, and he has an opportunity to do what's right here, he says, he spoke to himself. He started having a little conversation with himself. He all of a sudden made himself a spectator of worship. It's happening. It's right here. Jesus is in the room. This woman is in the room. She's worshiping him. And this man is just spectating, being respectful, being honorable, being careful. He's a spectator and he's got commentary going on in his own mind. Does this man know what he's doing? Does does he know who she is? That woman's a sinner. He's having a commentary in his own mind about this moment instead of being actively engaged in worship. He's evaluating Jesus. He's judging this woman's heart. And he's concerned about what people might think. He is completely missing out on an incredibly sacred moment because he is all about himself. He's all about what will it look like if I say something? What will people think? Does he not know what she is? Do they not know? He's not really even caring what people think. What is she doing? He's having this whole dialogue inside his head because he's not giving Jesus the first part. He's given himself the first part. Now, the Bible tells us in verse 40, that Jesus answered and said to him. Now, if you remember, this man's not having an outward dialogue. This man's having a conversation inside his head. And Jesus says, hey, Simon. Jesus knew what he was doing. And Jesus had to call him out of his head. He had to call him out of his own thoughts. He had to call him out of his own self-analyzing, self-conversation, overthinking, overanalyzing, second-guessing. Jesus calls him out of all that. Simon, hey, here I am. He said, I have something to say to you. It says that Simon said, teacher, say it. So Jesus begins. He says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. In other words, there's two people. They owe one man some money. A denarii was basically a day's wage. So you work all day long, work hard, and you got some pay. We might, if we do some math, put all that together, 500 denarii today would equal about $75,000. This dude had some credit card debt. The other 50, that's $7,500 equivalent in our day today. And they both owe someone this amount of money. 
And the Bible says, and when they had nothing with which to repay, it was impossible for either of them to repay the one who had given them the money. But this man, though he was not obligated to, didn't have to, and they didn't deserve it, he freely forgave them both. And Jesus said, tell me, therefore, which of them would love him more? Which one is going to have their heart moved? Which one is going to be expressive about that? Which one is going to demonstrate their love in a greater proportion than the other? Which one is going to really have their heart even more greatly set free? And Simon, the Pharisee, answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, You have rightly judged the one who realized he owed so much, so much that he could never repay it, and it was a vast debt. That one who realized the depth of it, he would actually be the one to love more. It says, then he, Jesus, verse 44, turned to the woman and said to Simon. Now you've got to remember the scene. Jesus is here. They're not at tables like you and I would normally be at a dinner table. They are on the floor. And they're at a table, but they're reclining and they're eating. And Jesus' feet are turned like this. And this woman comes in behind. Remember it said she was standing. And then she was kneeling. And then she was crying. And then she was washing his feet. And Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon... Do you see this woman? Like, how could you not? How could you not see this woman? How could you not see this woman come into the room crying audibly, vastly different than everybody else in the room, and she's pouring out her heart. She's weeping. She's on the ground. She's pouring out this oil, and the fragrance is filling the room. And Jesus says, do you, do you see this woman? And you wonder what was going on in Simon's mind. How could he not see what was happening? He saw it. But because he was all up inside his head, because he was all filled with analyzing, second guessing, overthinking, replaying, wondering, thinking about what people might think, thinking what is Jesus doing, thinking about who she is, because he's all up inside his head. When you get filled up inside your head, you'll miss what's happening right in the room with Jesus. You'll miss it. You get focused on your guilt, your respectability, your pride, you'll miss what's happening in the room. And you'll choose to not let yourself be moved. I get it. I get it. As a man, there's moments that emotion starts welling up in me. And the auto response, men, tell me if this is not true. The auto response is, mm -mm, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. No. Stop. Do not shed a tear. 
Any men in the room? Hello? I'm the only one, right, that thinks that way? Come on. Hello. And women, I don't know, some of you might be wired the same way. You're like, no, don't do it. You ugly cry, don't do it. People, your, your mascara's gonna run. People think you lost it. Don't do it, don't do it. That is what was happening in this Simon the Pharisee, but he was resisting the Spirit of God. And when you try to control when you try to control your heart, your response, your emotions, and your actions, and you don't give him the first part of it, you'll end up like this man who was missing what was happening in the room, and the enemy wins the day. Now, Jesus went on, he said, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You see, if you went into a, a Jewish home, it was customary to be offered some water to wash your feet. They didn't have nice shoes like you and I have. We could walk around all day and at night take our, our shoes off and our socks off and they're relatively clean, maybe. Here, you're walking with sandals in the dirt. And it was customary. It was just respectful. It was just the nice thing you did to offer someone some water when they came in. And this man doesn't even do that. This man doesn't even have in his heart the ability to put Jesus in that place where he respects him, where he honors him, where he puts him first. But she, she says, I'm not worried about all that. I'm not worried about what someone else thinks or what this group's going to say about me. I'm going to come in and I'm going to love my Jesus. Do you know how low it takes for you to get to use your hair to wash someone's feet? you got to get all the way to the ground. Do you know how many tears you have to shed for there to be enough moisture to actually wash someone's feet? It's a lot. And she's not holding anything back. She's expressing her love. And guys, women will get this. Do you know what it takes for a woman to allow her hair to be messed up and become dirty? No woman wants that. They're doing all they can. They're looking at the forecast days in advance. Is it going to rain? Oh, and I'm not going to fix my hair up. And they're all concerned because it's a big deal because the Bible says that a woman's hair is her glory. And here is this woman. She doesn't care about her glory anymore because she's on the ground shedding her tears and she's crying and it's, she's using her hair to wash the feet of Jesus. It's getting dirty. It's getting yucky. But she doesn't care because she's giving up her glory for his glory. And this is what you do when your heart's free. You're not worried about well, how am I going to look after this? You're worried about, I've got to get to Jesus and let my heart worship him. Jesus went on with Simon. He says, you, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Now, this is not meant to be creepy in any way. It's just Jewish custom in the day, just custom to greet another person that you respect and admired and knew well with a kiss on, on, on the cheek, on each cheek. Jesus says, you, you didn't even do that. This is what religion does. Religion tries to be respectable. 
Religion tries to be emotionless. Religion tries to be in control. And this man wouldn't do it. But when Jesus sets your heart free, you don't care. He invites you to draw close, you draw close. He invites you to express your heart to him, you express your heart to him. He moves you, you allow him to move you. And you express what he's done in your heart. And she became free. You know, sometimes when it comes to what we give to God, we don't give him the first. We give him what's left over after we have analyzed it, second-guessed it, overthought it, feared what people think, try to be respectable, try to be emotionless, try to still look good, try to still be impressive to other people. And then we say, well, if I've got anything left after all that is squeezed out, after I've already tainted it with my insecurities and my fears and my doubts, with whatever I can just squeeze out afterwards, I might give that to you, Jesus. Is that not where we are? Is that not the spirit of this day and church and religion and this whole region? The Bible Belt? Is that not where we live at a time and a place when people want to be more respectable than anything else? Where they'll say, give me some church, but don't give me radical? Hello, it's time to get like this woman and get free and stop caring what people think and let Jesus see where our heart is and let him move us by giving him the first part of what's next. Amen? Jesus said, you did not anoint my head with oil. Another custom. You came into someone's house. You were offered some oil to anoint their head. Their hair was, scalp was dry. And it was just nice. You yeah, have air conditioning. But they had the ability to offer you some oil to put that on your head. It was a way of showing gratitude, grace to someone. This man, he didn't do that. But this woman, Jesus said, she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Now let's just put some dots together here. What is this woman's profession before this moment? Prostitutes. What would be a prostitute's most prized possession in that day? Some fragrant oil to cover the scent of the stench of her life. It's her possession. And here she is bringing with her what she had of any earthly value. And she brings it to the one that she has heard can free her and loves her and can make her new and set her free from that life. And so she uses the first of what she has of greatest treasure and pours it out on Jesus' feet. And worship begins to fill the room. It's obvious her love for him because she has given him the first part. 
She didn't let fear get in the way. She gave the first part. And when you give him the first part, you'll be able all of a sudden to love openly, to talk openly about your faith, to express when your heart's hurting, to express when your heart's joyful, to express when you're filled with gratitude, when you give him the first part. He'll unlock your heart in your marriage, your friendships, on the job, on the highway, and even in church. He'll set you free from the fear of what everybody else thinks. Now, because she gave him the first part, I want you to see what happens. Because remember, the Bible had promised, God had promised, if you'll give me the first part, I will give you plenty, and your vat will overflow with new wine. Here's what it says in verse 47. Jesus said, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. If you got a lot of expression, he says it's an indicator you've known you've been set free from a lot of stuff. But if you got a little expression, it means you still got a lot of stuff you need to be delivered from. I'm just saying what Jesus is saying. If you got a little expression, you got a long way to go. But if you got a lot of expression because your heart's free, it's flowing right out of what he has done for you. And Jesus is contrasting her with him, the respectable for the one who's been set free. And then comes the punch. Jesus then in 48 said to her, your sins are forgiven. Because you have come in here, opened your heart, given the first part, not afraid what anybody else thinks, you have opened your heart to me. Then I am saying to you, and I want you to know this, dear woman, your sins, your past, every moment of darkness and pain, every moment where you felt unloved, where you sold yourself off, that is forgiven. You are free. You are released. Mm. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? They're right back inside themselves. They're not even hearing Jesus. They all of a sudden remove themselves. Spectator, judge, evaluator. I'm careful. I'm in control. I'm not going to cry. I'm going to look cool. What do they think they're even doing here? Who is this Jesus? What does they think he's doing? Who can he? All that stuff. All of that is not from God. That is from the enemy. That is from the flesh. And Jesus has come to set us free from all that mess. Amen? Verse 50. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. You can go. Go in peace. Be free. We're done. You're set free. She gave the first part, and Jesus blessed it. He caused her heart to overflow with new joy because she gave the first part. It's time for us as the church in 2024 in America to no longer be held by our past, our guilt, and our shame. That has been removed for us by Jesus. It is time for us as the church in 2024 in America to stop being afraid of being canceled, rejected, talked about, or scorned. 
It's time for the church to speak up, to speak out, and say, I don't deserve to be here, but Jesus loves me here. I don't deserve anything he's done for me, but because Jesus is in the room, I'm going to be in the room and I'm going to be present. He's going to be present and I'm going to be present in my home, in my car, in my yard, on the job, and in my church. If he's there, I'm there. And I'm not going to be silenced by fear. I'm not going to be silenced by my own pride. I'm not going to be silenced by hesitation, by comparison, by overthinking, by making myself a spectator. He gets the first part of my heart. He gets the first part of my respect, my love. He gets the first part of what's next. And I love him with all of it. Amen? This is what you and I are invited to in Jesus. Set free so you could be set free. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have come truly to set us free. You have removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. You have taken them out of the way. You have made us clean. You have made us free. You've called us your own. You've given us your own righteousness. You've called us your own. And so now out of that, we will love you. We will no longer let the world, our own past, our flesh, or the enemy have his way to silence us, to fill our thoughts with lies. But we will give you the first part of what's next. And the what next now is to worship you, to love you, to give you all the glory. So God, we focus on that today. We choose to worship you. We choose to love you because you loved us first in Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.